Thanks for downloading our podcast, This House of Cards. Here is our review for chapters 20 and 21 in the second season of House of Cards. One of Tyler's predictions finally comes true in this review, so he's just thrilled. Don't forget, we're on Facebook under This House of Cards, and we're on iTunes. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to This House of Cards podcast, an unofficial podcast about the Netflix hit show, House of Cards. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted, coming from you, coming to you from Missouri. How's it going, my friend? What are you, uh, what are you drinking today? Uh, well, considering I'm uh, currently still on the clock, I have a nice glass of water. What are you drinking? I, I've got a cup of tea over here, you know, I decided not to partake if you couldn't, because I felt like I'd be just rubbing it in your oh, face a little bit. Oh, so. that's so sweet of you. From Thank the kindness you. of my heart, we're just going with tea this afternoon. Um, but we do have a lot of excellent stuff to talk about today. Of course, we're going to be reviewing episode 20 and 21 for uh, right. this show, House of Cards. Um, we'll have a break in between, so don't worry about uh, any spoilers. We'll talk about episode 20 first, and then we'll transition into episode 21. Um, and we'll make it very clear when we're transitioning. Before we get into things, we just want to remind you to check us out at uh, facebook.com slash this house of cards podcast. Um, and of course, you can rate us and review us and do all that fun stuff, please, at, uh, on iTunes, this house of cards podcast. So, without further ado, let's discuss chapter... 20. So, uh, uh. this episode starts an interesting way. We see an attack commercial against Frank, primarily kind of, but also Walker and the entire, um, basically, Democratic team. Um, I think the Democratic team in the House, right? Or is it, it might be across the House and Senate, but I think it's primarily the House because the House is what the Democrats run right now. And right. so the GOP is, is running this campaign against him, and this campaign ad is funded by a super PAC. Um, and I have to say immediately when I saw it was funded by a super PAC, just knowing where, where we were before, my first thought, I thought Tusk immediately. Um, did you really? I did. I, well, I mean, come on. I, I don't feel like that was such a far stretch. We were talking about like a really rich guy, obviously super pissed about some things that went down, so he's going to want to change in leadership. So I think it's, I mean, obviously... So, you know, House of Cards is smarter than I was. I, I, I thought it was going to be some new character just because Tusk has funded Walker, President Walker, who's a Democrat. Right. Absolutely. I think but, at the same time, I mean, it goes to show right. like the, the fickleness of politicians, you know, I mean, they have right. to go wherever is in their, or sorry, not politicians, but a business, businesses, because a lot of times whatever's they have to go, in their whatever's in their best interest. It's, I mean, totally. Tusk isn't really a liberal or a conservative, I would say. He's just a businessman. Right. And so whichever way the wind blows, he has to move. Um, and so, you know, team is meeting with Walker, you know, Frank and the team, to find out how they're going to win the midterms. They want to find the source of the super PAC money. Right. And uh, Linda's working on some counterattack plan. Um, and Walker... Oh, Linda. Walker chastises Frank for kind of setting this up. He he clearly blames Frank. So we have some clear friction at the beginning of this episode. So right, finally, which if we remember correctly, you know he was pretty pissed at both Frank and Tusk at the end of last episode because um, he felt like between the two of them they kind of ripped apart any sort of 
not only any sort of deal with the Chinese, but any sort of positive perception that President Walker was, you know, the Walker administration was going to get from this. So he's not very happy with Frank right now. But uh, I think we right. know Frank better but, than that. He he jumps on damage control pretty quickly. He's a smooth talker. He does. He does. He he. It's very uh, uh, kind of refreshing to see the president because he's kind of a pushover and he's kind of soft. See him come down on Frank and Tusk, but also more on Frank just just uh, as hard as he has because Frank has been two faced. Mm hmm. He certainly has. He told him he wasn't meeting with Fang, and he was. Yeah. You know, and I have to say that I, like you said, I've kind of um, I come to appreciate, especially over these past two episodes, it seems like Walker has gotten deeper layers to him a little bit than we've seen in, I mean, in season one especially, he was such a flat character, but he didn't really play much of a role at all. And the more we get to know him, I, I still feel like he's maybe too easily manipulated. He's too much of a puppet, but yeah. uh, it's nice to see him stand up for himself at least a little bit. Yeah, I, I still don't know how he got to be president, but but it no. is nice to see layers. Me neither. I do also want to comment that as for an opening scene goes, I thought that the um, attack commercial was a pretty cool cinematic way to start off. That was cool. Uh, that was cool. I mean, it looked like a, a, a legit, you know, kind of cheesy attack commercial, but uh, well made, obviously. But I enjoyed it. Um, you know, in the cinematic transitions, you know, go, starting with the commercial and then going to them in the room. I mean... We've seen a lot of jumping this season. I just want to comment real quickly between um, characters on TV or watching a screen, and we see what they're, you know, like I'm thinking of Claire in the interview and Frank watching her through the screen on the interview. It's like we have this perception where we have, you know, people, their public persona, you know, their private personas watching their public personas in a way. I just think, yep. it, I don't know. I didn't know if you had any comment on kind of the, the, it seems like that's a recurring theme or motif in this series season so far yeah yeah to see how you know it's like an actor watching their performance mm-hmm. and i mean maybe that's just supposed to kind of expose you know how they are different you know they are different people inside than they are how they portray themselves to the rest of the world which totally. obviously is something that's been a theme since the beginning right and we see that really well later when uh i mean we will get to this but when frank and claire have uh the walkers over for dinner Exactly. Um, and so I want to talk about the Frank storyline with Tusk, and I want to talk about the Walker storyline uh, kind of as a second part of this episode. The first part, I want to knock out some of the Grayson stuff and some of the Remy stuff. So um, we see the first confrontation in this episode between Grayson and Connor. Um, I mean, it's it's just a minor confrontation. It's more like an argument. Um, and Grayson wins pretty easily. Connor's pretty easily pushed over. And... Uh, I don't remember specifically. It was about like how to handle a certain interview or something like that. And Seth is pretty pushy, and Connor is not that way. Um, Seth definitely reminds me, I would have to say, of Frank and his tactics and kind of his outlook on the world, which was only right. reinforced later when we we learned out that uh, we learned that Seth is a hired gun by Remy, um, or, and thus, you know, through Remy Tusk, right. try, who's like been tasked to take down Claire and Frank, essentially. Or at least, for, in the meantime, find out information. Right. Um, Ammunition they can use. Right, but what we... I mean, he but tells... the double agent flips it and becomes a triple agent. <laughs> exactly. Frank, you know, has the one-on-one, and, you know, Grayson flat out tells him that what he's up to, and uh, reveals Remy and Tusk, and he says that, you know, they can offer me a ton of money, but, you know, money is something that comes and goes. He wants power which is exactly what frank wants too. exactly so they're they're two like creatures right 
They, I agree. Very I'm not, similar. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I like. I'll be honest. I like. I like the Grayson character. I think he's in, intriguing. Um, I was surprised to see Connor leave so quickly. It made I me agree. kind of wonder what his purpose was. Right. Right. It was a little weird that we meet him for two episodes and then he's out the door. And he's kind of a recognizable actor. So right. Exactly. Almost a waste. I mean, I guess he was a little bit of a red herring, maybe. Right. Um, that he was going to be something significant and ends up being being Seth. But I do like the Seth character, so curious to see where that yeah. continues going. Um, I have a question for you on that. Okay. Where do you think his allegiance will ultimately fall? Uh, it's a tough question because he doesn't have any... Just like Frank, he kind of goes where the power is. But assuming, as Frank has through, you know, continual, continuously... Um, that Frank retains the power. I could see, especially because they have so much in common, I could see him continuing to work for Frank. I don't see him as much of a threat, as as much of a threat to Frank as I do someone whose uh, mission is noble, like, for instance, Jackie, which maybe is a mistake on my part. But that's kind of my insight is like, Frank knows how to handle people who are similar to him, you know, because he's able to, he can understand their mind. So I feel like he can control Grayson. Right. That being said, because Grayson is so similar to Frank, it'll be interesting to see if, like like Frank does, Grayson will just be looking out for himself, really, and he'll just go where the power lies. True. True. I mean, I think he'd sell them out in a second if someone else had the power. Right. So, yeah. Like you said, Connor's out, so now it's going to be full steam ahead with this, you know, diabolical plans, most likely, because... Uh, Connor wasn't really like that type of a guy. Right. Um, yeah, Connor goes to SpaceX. Yeah, I'm still kind of wondering if Connor's going to come back. Um, you know, somehow he finds out what the situation is. And maybe Grayson turns on them and they have to bring Connor back in for damage control. Or maybe, you know, Remy goes to Connor to try to pry secrets out of him or something like that. Right. But so I way, could... is, it, is, it, is it Remy who sets up that cushy job for Connor to take? I think so, because that's what Grayson initially asks asks him for, right? Right, that's right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so he kind of, Remy sets it up, so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Connor shows back up, but yeah, I, I thought it was kind of strange that he was kind of one and done real quickly yeah. there. Um, other thing I want to talk about before moving on to the more interesting stuff, Frank-related stuff, is, um, so Jackie and Remy are kind of continuing their relationship Um Jackie's stalling on Claire's bill, and I it wasn't clear to me why this is the case unless it had to do with her um, sleeping with Remy. And I'm wondering if, like, her starting a relationship with Remy is what's going to kind of be, you know, I'm well, it makes me wonder whether Remy's legitimately interested in her. Or he's trying to position her against Frank. Um, and I've been wondering that quite a bit, and I'm not sure how I feel. Um, I th- Remy seems legit, and I, I mean, I like Remy as a character too. Actually, I yeah, think the actor's yeah, really Remy's good. Cool. So, I want to think that they have a legit relationship, but you know, so much of what goes on in politics, especially in the show, is you know people using one another. So, I wouldn't put it past Remy at all to be using Jackie to hurt Frank and Claire. Right. I think uh, I will say that you do get your answer pretty, pretty. Uh, honestly, from them at some point. Okay. Uh, well, I'll be excited to see where where kind of that goes. <laughs> but I, I think it is a compelling storyline. It's something I didn't see coming at all. So right. 
Um, so let's talk about the Frank storyline now. Um, cool. So this big Democratic donor, Daniel Lanigan, he's a casino owner in Missouri, uh, has switched sides, they find out. He's not, he's not giving money anymore to the Democrats. He's giving money to the Republicans. And that's why they're having all this money to fund you know, all these attack ads. Uh, interesting real-life comparison. I mean, talking about a casino owner that's pouring money into the GOP immediately came to mind Sheldon Adelson, who was a big GOP donor in the last election, who funded you know Newt Gingrich's campaign and I think quite a bit of Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum too. So once again, you know, real life has a, the news has the cards ripping. You know, their storylines from the headlines, but not in such a way that it's like guiding the story too much, but just, like, interweaving it so it makes their story more realistic, which I think is really pretty impressive job by the writers. Yeah, I like know? that. Right. And, it like, as we're talking about this, it's really nice to see Tusk finally, like, take off the gloves and get a little dirty here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would absolutely agree with you. It's like, you know, I I think I even questioned it last episode that I felt like Tusk was too much, you know, too... Too not, soft. Too soft, but it's nice to, I mean, it kind of makes you think that he might have more strength behind him than we initially realized. Well, I think we see he's playing the, the he, earlier he was trying to play Frank's game, which is the politics game, trying to get the president's ear and get the president to do what he wants. But he realizes his one thing he does have over Frank is money. So he's using the money against Frank, and Frank, as we see, starts squirming. Well, because he has the ability to entirely, you know, flip the entire house Election. and knock Jackie yeah, out of crazy. You know, Jackie would no longer be in leadership. She might not even win her own district. I guess her own district. She's up. She's, you know, neck and neck with the competitor there. So he could totally throw everything out of Walker's, you know, reach basically, um, out of the Democrats' hands. And so I think we forgot to connect the dots really here. Um, Tusk is the one who's funding Lanigan secretly. We, you know, Frank and Stamper think. So they're kind of off to investigate because this Lanigan guy has, you know, Tusk's business is in Missouri, Lanigan's in Missouri. Um, there's just an obvious connection. So um, <clears throat> Stamper is going to be go to Kansas City to do some investigating. In the meantime, we have uh, a journalist is interviewing Freddie. Freddie, the uh, owner of Freddie's Barbecue, about Frank coming there. And um, the journalist asks something interesting. He asks Freddie, do you think that's why, you know, he, Freddie's saying, you know, I call him Frank. I treat him like a normal guy. And the journalist says, do you think that's why he comes here? You treat him like a regular person. And I really love this line from Freddie that was like, maybe. Mostly it's the fucking ribs, though. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it, ribs are, so, I know, I'll bring this up later, is like how weirdly, like, ribs and meat are a continuing motif Player throughout role. this season. Absolutely, but I didn't. I was trying to figure out myself what do you, what's going on here with uh, the whole Freddie piece. At the end, we see find out that like Freddie's business has been really busy since the article's written. Uh, I mean, obviously he was approached. You know, someone was trying to buy his barbecue stuff. Is it is that symbolism, or I mean, I'm wondering if that if it has something to do with the story, or if it's more symbolic. I mean, I was kind of seeing it as well. When you see that storyline resolve, I think you have a lot more answers. Right now, I think we're just supposed to be excited for freddie that he's getting some attention and making some money and and uh it's in in large part to frank Mm -hmm. in my head it's like freddie is going to lose a uh 
<laughs> he's losing his private place, and so I'm thinking like I'm thinking I think I'm thinking too much symbolism. But I'm going to go ahead and throw out a theory now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Freddie is going to make a ton of money some way or another, and he's going to donate it to Frank when Frank needs money for a campaign thing. Oh, that's my guess right now. So okay. I'm gonna. That's my guess. I'm gonna throw that out there right now. We'll return um, to that. So anyway, back to Lanigan <laughs> Stamper. Stamper's at a casino in Kansas City. He, uh, you know, meets a bartender there who's also an Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the casino security, you know, while he's doing his investigating, casino security is kind of keyed in on him. Um, and I also thought this was kind of ridiculous is that Lanigan, you know, the owner of the casino is in the security room, like watching the monitors. Yeah. I mean, you think that you'd have like pit bosses, you know, like security dudes yeah, doing that. He weird. wouldn't be just hanging it's out in the security room. It's also weird that Stamper's just sitting in there. I don't know what his plan is. Is his plan to sit there and spy him, spy on him? <laughs> well, he's not being very subtle. You know, he's not taking, he's not eating, he's not getting a drink. He's just, yeah. like, he's not gambling. He's just like sitting there. And maybe that's his intention is to be real obvious. But he ends up going home with the girl. And at first, I was like, "Is this just Stamper being reckless?" Because you know, I'm kind of, and I continue to think this. Like, Stamper might be. Some of his uh, urges. We know he, of course, that he's a former alcoholic. Um, he can be reckless. You know, he has a he has urges that he is fighting to suppress all the time, constantly fighting. Yes. And so absolutely. I'm wondering. You know, I've been wondering as the season goes on if he's coming a part of the seams. And I honestly thought, like, I didn't know if this had any strategy to it when he was doing this. Um, but Lord of course, it does. Contested. It's true, but of course it, it does. This actually, this specific act going home with this girl does it's like an interrogation technique apparently. And he, I don't know, like if he's asking her questions while they're having sex or what, and that's like some weird role playing game he's doing. But he finds out that uh, the Chinese have been coming to this casino in mass groups uh, to gamble. So he realizes, oh, this money must be coming from Mister Fang in China, right? Which means it's from Tusk. Which means it's from Tusk, exactly. Also, the girl does say, um, I think you were thinking of someone else while we were doing it. And so, uh, brings us back to Stamper's Rachel. bizarre relationship with Rachel. So, <clears throat> you know, he, Frank, of course, finds out the plans from Stamper and then sends Stamper to China to meet with Fang. Um, in the meantime, Frank then decides he's going to cut. I thought this was a little, Frank has been a little bit more brash, I would say recently than he, he, you know, he's not as, um, working behind the scenes. He's like calling people out f- to their faces and, you know, he's normally so like backstabbing and kind of, you know, will be nice to someone's face and work behind their back. But especially with Tusk, he calls Tusk right up who's has Lanigan in the room and accuses him directly that like, I know what's going on, which you think if he was sending, you know, Stamper to meet Feng in China that he'd want to be more discreet about it to see if, like, he yeah, could... yeah, he's you're right, he's much more brash. So hurt. he he accuses Frank or Tusk like to his face or not, well, over the phone, you know, that you're you know giving money to the GOP and you're stacking Congress and I know what you're up to, and that Lanigan has always been a front for you. And Tusk basically kind of is just like, maybe it is, maybe it's not. What you gonna do about it? So, <laughs> yeah. Come at so, me, bro. Right. So it pisses Frank off, of course, but he's not going to let the POTUS know. He's going to handle it his own way. Um, so Stamper goes to meet Fang, asks him what he wants to, you know, how, how they can make the change in flow of money right. happen. Make the money flow back to the Democrats. And Fang's kind of iffy about it, wants to wait till the next day. Ends up sending hookers into Stamper's room. It's really... Fang... 
clearly picks up that like Stamper's coming apart of the scene and like is trying to take advantage of all he his is urges. Tempting him, yeah, all over Where, the place. I remember. Let's remember that in a former episode, you know, Stamper knocked the drink out of his hand when like right. Ben was holding that expensive drink in his face. Now he sends the hookers in, but it's good on Stamper. He knocked the drink out of his hand. He sends the hookers away. He's been able to hold it somewhat together. Although after he sends the hookers out, he calls Rachel and like leaves her an angry message. So. I, you know, we'll see how long he can hold it together. Um, but it's really, he's very much being tested, as you said. Uh, but Fang, you know, comes to him the next day and says, you know, I want the bridge back. Um, the bridge is important to my people. I got to keep my allies to keep myself out of prison. So he basically wants, Frank basically needs to repass the bridge, you know, get the bridge passed with. Everything cool? Yeah, everything yeah. cool. Huh. Yeah, that was the heater. <laughs> he basically... <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> it was just adding dramatic tension. Uh, <laughs> Feng wants the bridge back. So, you know, Stamper's doing his thing in China. Frank, meanwhile, is trying to do his own thing by having Lanigan come meet him face-to-face. And it goes terrible. I would say it completely falls apart. Um, Lanigan comes to Frank's house. Through the back door. Through the back door, which he's offended by immediately, Frank offers him this ear to the White House, which Frank has offered people before, but it's becoming less and less attractive because we all know that Frank, you know, what does that really mean? Frank will Yeah, do that what, doesn't mean shit. That's not compelling enough. No, Frank will, like, hear you out, but then he'll immediately shut you down if it doesn't work to his benefit. Right. So, Lanigan is pretty savvy, so you got to hand that to him. Um, but, it, like, it was kind of... I don't know. I it was. It seems like it was a surprise move on Frank's part. A couple. I mean, that and the phone call to Tusk. I mean, it, it didn't seem like he had any chance at all with Lanigan. You know, Lanigan came in and was like, "What are you doing?" So it made Frank seem unprepared. You know, unprepared, desperate, almost. It was weird. It was weird and a little out of character that he would be so quick to try something like that. Right, and he gets pissed and he flips his little figurine table. <laughs> um, yeah. So he he seems a little bit out of his league on that plane right now on the plane as far as um the china stuff goes on the other hand now let's talk about um the stuff we have going on with president walker frank ends up you know healing stuff with president walker surprisingly easily when you ask me when at the beginning of this episode we had so much friction frank buys walker a punching bag after you know saying you know i'm you know i'll be your punch basically like being sarcastic and saying i'll be your punching bag if you want me to be and pissing walker off a lot when he sent him the when walker walks into the oval office and sees the punching bag sitting there i thought oh shit he's going to be pissed no <laughs> he loves it he thinks it's a joke i mean you, you got to give it to walker he he's got him. a good sense of humor and guys you got to give it to frank that he knew that wasn't going to go over poorly because i was thinking like this is going to piss the hell out of walker uh see i saw it and i was like oh he's making a joke about it it's kind of funny. But they were just so, like, like yeah. you know, at the edge of, like, being physical that it was like, I don't know if it's cooled down that much. But I guess it had. So Frank read the situation well, which he does time and again. <laughs> um, so, you know, we see Frank and Walker drinking. And we see them drinking a few times in this episode and the upcoming episode where it's kind of like Frank... Yeah. Frank almost is like an alcohol to Walker. You know, he kind of, like... Makes his defenses come down, um, kind of makes him do things that maybe he wouldn't normally do. I would say. So, he does. He has that. He has that charming, you know, persuasive 
uh, uh, charm about him that makes you kind of let down your guard and open mm-hmm. up and exactly be vulnerable. So what did you get from this scene where Frank and Walker are drinking in the White House? Um, President apologizes to Frank, and they examine a painting and try to soak in the history of it. And you know, uh, Walker says something to Frank about you know, um, let's sit here and imagine that we're you know Truman. Truman and try to channel him, you know, making a decision about the atomic bomb or something like right. that. Right. That's exactly, I think, what happened, yeah. And then Frank tells the president, you have to worry less about your place in history, but instead focus on forging history. What did you make of this scene and this interaction between the two of them? Well, I think Frank's trying to tell the president that we need, that at least his mentality is to go forward in life, forging your own path uh, for the country and not be constantly hung up on how is this going to look uh, in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, like they're looking back on the uh, atomic bomb uh, with Truman and, and the decision he made then on, you know, making when he made that choice, he made that choice because that was the thing that he thought was the right way to go about ending the war. Um, but he may not have been thinking, you know, what's this going to look like in 40 or 50 years down the road, historically yeah. speaking. So I yeah. think, and that I think it was that, and also it was sharing a moment, uh, a bonding moment, to get them to the point where we get to the dinner, where they're buddies. Exactly, I think that's an what, excellent you reason. You know, okay. he's he's clearly like you know trying to push you know Walker to be more decisive, and they're bonding at the same time. So we jump to the dinner, and they have you know Freddie's ribs. Uh, he he, you know Freddie caters to the dinner, which. Has of worked course. time and again. <laughs> um, he seems to cater every event they ever have. Um, uh, but before this, I want to say, you know, we have the interaction, of course, between uh, Walker and his wife, Trisha, the first lady, who is clearly suspicious of Christina, thanks to, you know, the thanks seeds to Claire's Claire planning. planning a, a completely unbased claim, mm-hmm. seed in her mind about that. Right. And, you know... She acts all bitchy to Christina and tells Walker in the car on the way over to Frank. I think it's I think it's in the car on the way over to Frank's house that like she wants you Christina need to fire gone. Mm-hmm. So their marriage we see very much uh, straining, um, and it's like they're openly on edge at the at dinner. And Frank and Claire are clearly on the offensive, like demonstrating how great their marriage is, joking around with each other, like being a little bit flirtatious, which is not like them we know normally. So they're clearly like being exhibitionists here. Uh, having a, a plot to everything they're doing. Oh yeah, they're so fun when they're working together, uh-huh. and putting on their charm as the as the the public couple, the fun couple. And then after dinner, and then after dinner, of course, you know, well, we have like the awkward interaction of over the pie, you know, like. Oh yeah, that was awkward. <laughs> just you know, really building up the tension when Walker doesn't want the pie, and his wife says, "Eat the pie, eat the um, fucking pie." So they split off. You know, men go downstairs to these, you know, Frank's little Civil War figurines and drink bourbon or whiskey or whatever scotch and uh, upstairs you have the woman you know drinking wine and just talking and we have these split off moments where you know walker's confiding in frank about you know things being difficult um with his marriage and upstairs you know mrs walker's confiding in claire about things being different in the marriage and they're both like just drinking a ton i mean they're both drinking a ton um and I'm wondering what Frank and Claire's endgame is. I mean, we know, and when we talk about next episode, I'll talk about this a little bit more. I'm not entirely sure. I'm planting some, I'm kind of putting together some theories. Um, 
clearly they want their marriage to be, or they like sense the vulnerability in the marriage, and this is going to have something to do with whatever their end game is. So Claire I'm not keeps stirring sure. that pot. Mm-hmm. Well, and Frank's now kind of starting to get into it too a little bit. So. Yeah, I, I I still, I especially I just can't with this first lady anymore. She just keeps blabbing about these insecurities, and it's like, yeah, she's playing right into Claire's hands. Claire's she's, like uh-huh. excited. Yeah, I just how I have no faith that these people are worthy of the positions of president and first lady. There is no way that they're is this easily manipulated and uh, and um, that soft. Oh, the first lady is terrible. She can't think yeah. for herself one bit. Yeah, good I lord, mean, where's your backbone? Claire is a freaking beast compared to her. You know, <laughs> she is no yeah. matter like Claire. You know, Frank obviously has Walker somewhat wrapped around his finger, but you know, Walker still kind of yeah. You know, it takes a little more effort on Frank's part, but Claire just steamrolls the first lady. You know, yeah, easily. So, I mean, I you know, my last note in this episode was, "Ah, oh, shit, we're planting the seeds of scandal." But why? <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, oh, man, I'm wondering, like, is this? Is, are we going to propel Walker from office somehow? So, I I'm curious to see where this is going. Very curious to see where this is going. Right. Um, so, I thought it was a definitely interesting note to end the episode on there was some excellent scenes in this episode i definitely loved in particular i loved the dinner and kind of you know frank and claire's exhibitionism like we talked about in their you know private conversations with the president and first lady afterward i really liked uh the stamper stuff that was going on with um when he's right. over in china particularly yeah. he's like we see him pressured um because i want i'm really curious where that storyline's going he seems like a you know uh he seems like he's about to pop. So I want to see if that happens or not, if he can restrain it. Um, you know, the Lanigan-Tusk stuff is, is actually, it, frankly, it's more interesting than it has been because I feel like we're, fi- we're getting a little bit more FaceTime, and it's not just, you know, there's still, you know, phone calls and crap like that, but I think, you know, Stamper's going there. It finally feels like we're getting somewhere more interesting than, like, a bunch of, back, you know, behind Walker's back phone calls. Um, I like where this whole super PAC thing is and with this Lanigan character coming in and being front for the money. Um, it's very complex, but it all works really well. So I think, I'm, personally, I want to give this episode, I think I'm going to give it a four, um, which is a little bit of a boost from last week. How wow, about you? yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I agree with most of your uh, critiques there. I would also say, I'm, as we said earlier, I'm happy that to see Tusk play to his strength which money which frank doesn't can't play that game as well so that's exciting to see at least some type of uh adversarial uh um, advantage being exploited Mm. against frank because nothing's ever really no one's come at him like with with the money before and now there's this is happening and it's something that might challenge frank for once um i would give it and I like the dinner scene a lot too. That was pretty great. Although I'm getting a little annoyed as I have been with the first family because they're boring and they're also very easily manipulated and they're also so soft. Um, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I'm talking. I okay. I have seen it all, but at this point, I'm like, where is this marital strife going? Where is this leading? Why do we care about this? I don't care that they're having issues. All right. Uh, so I give it three point seven five. I think that's fair. I think that's a solid score. So that's a seven seven point seven five. A little bit of a boost from last week. So, yeah. um, I thought it was a solid episode. And without further ado, you know, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, jump into episode twenty one, which is can, in many ways. 
as every episode is a continuation, but there's a lot of similar themes I think that we can dig into a little bit deeper. Um, so I, at least on my part, and I'm curious what you had here, for episode 21, I did not have a ton of notes per se as far as like things that happened. I feel like more this episode um, is like thematic questions that I want to discuss. Um, it seemed like things... So, let's, I mean, we'll get into them immediately. Um, but it, it seemed like it was a little bit slower moving than, for instance, some of these past episodes that were very much like action, action, action. Right. So, first part let's talk about is Claire. Claire, the first lady and congresswoman, are meeting with the Marine who uh, was sexually harassed by General McGinnis. Um, she's the one who called in when Claire was she, having her live interview. She was sexually assaulted, right? Sexually assaulted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. She was raped. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I'm sorry. More than sexually harassed. Yes. Yeah, she was <laughs> assaulted. Um, and Claire wants the first lady to get the president more involved. Um, clearly, I felt that this was a tool that Claire was using to, like, way where um, – the first lady was at with her relationship with the president. If she felt she was comfortable asking this, um, oh, that's good. I didn't think I of mean, it that way, but that's that seems right. I mean, obviously, I think it would be useful if the president got behind the situation. But I think that it's like Claire is being masterful, absolutely masterful um, at like you know driving nails between the first lady and President Walker. I feel like she's, um, she's playing. Trisha, very well. Poor Trisha. She, she is playing her backwards and forwards, like being these you know subtle little remarks that like Claire knows are just like going to seep into her psyche and, and pull yep. out like these insecurities. So, I, very awesome to see as far as like Robin Wright goes and everything. Obviously, it's extremely well acted and like she's so freaking conniving um she recommends mm-hmm. to the first lady that they you know after she gets the first lady to say well our marriage isn't going so well claire uh recommends to the first lady that they see a marriage therapist that her and frank apparently had seen at some point right and you know but you, she says she's then you do it in a tricky way so they don't right. see, so if the press found out right Right. Um, they have to be, obviously, it can't be something that's public knowledge, you know, so Claire recommends this minister um, that they use to, you know, work with the church and he'll keep things quiet. And if, if the press did find out, it would be perceived or it could be uh, portrayed as spiritual guidance and not marriage counseling, which is like a death wish for um, public image. Right. So thinking about this and thinking about where things are going, um, I would ask you your thoughts, but I, I know you know where well, I can still going. play how I thought then. Okay, so let's... away. So it, let me walk you through my thinking, and so maybe we can kind yes, of... Yes, let's do that. So I'm thinking here, now, if that is the case, and I mean, it sounds pretty fail-safe, then Claire and Frank's plan can't be to, like, reveal to the public that, that uh, the First Lady and the President are having marriage problems. Um... And that doesn't seem like it would be enough to really. I, I I have to feel like there's some end game in which maybe Walker either uh, doesn't run for president his second term, is in a position where he's not as likely to win his second term, but somehow Frank is, or he has to leave during this current term. Right now, what I'm thinking is that with these marriage issues. Maybe Walker ends up leaving office because he realizes that his marriage can't stay together and he thinks that's more important to him. But at the same time, then why would Claire recommend going to a counsel- like some sort of counseling? 
Right. So, I mean, what other pieces? Can you think of any pieces I'm missing here without giving too much away? Like what you right. would think yeah. at this point in time? Well, I think that one of the key things is the public image of of the walkers. You know, if people found out about them seeing a marriage counselor, that would not look good for the health of not only their family, but, you know, can this guy be president when his mind is clearly, you know, involved with his broken marriage? So they want to fix things without letting anyone know. So that's really important. And what's kind of critical and what the critical element is in that in this uh, situation is that Claire knows. So Claire, this is how I was thinking, like Claire has the upper hand because she has this information, not necessarily to use as blackmail, but she can play this and spin it how she wants to to her advantage because she is in a much safer, uh, secure relationship. As of a, as of this part moment, right. Well, she and she set this whole thing up. So maybe, I mean, maybe what's going to happen is that it's going to come down to there either you know either Garrett is in a poor position to win the next election because people think that his marriage isn't in a good enough place that he can concentrate on the good of the country, or maybe something more dramatic happens and he's in a position to be impeached or something like that or have to resign, and you know that's that comes into play too. So I'm I'm very curious because I I feel like it has to there has to be some big end game for for Frank and Claire here. Um, they right. kind of they seem to be talking in code a little bit when when we hear them. You know, you know, like when Flick, you know, when when Trisha calls Claire, um, when her and Frank are in bed and stuff like that. You know, Frank yeah. clearly knows everything that's going on, so you can't help but feel like this. They have some scheme right. that they're putting. Also, putting into place. does Trisha have no one else to call? She has to call Claire. They've been like friends for two minutes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, then obviously we learn that they have that really good friend that they go to the friend's house. They pretend to go to the friend's house right. for the, the counselors. Right. But I guess maybe the thought is that, you know, Claire is also in a compromising position because she is the second lady. And so, you know, that and kind of... And she says she's gone to this counselor, too, like you said. Yeah. And so, maybe you know, maybe that that's... I mean, and also Claire is obviously wonderful at, you know, making... Trisha feel comfortable and as if she can confide in her because Claire's been through this and she's in the same position and, and all that sort of stuff too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so interesting stuff going on there. And I guess I'm glad we were able to talk a little bit more about theories as to what the end game is. Um, the other kind of part about Claire's storyline here is, you know, she is meeting with the, they're meeting with this Marine girl and the girl seems like she is nervous about being the face of this new bill they're trying to pass about accountability for um, sexual assault in the military, but also, I mean, directly for General McGinnis's court-martial. Right. And they're about to kind of do some, you know, she's about to testify in front of Congress, basically, and she kind of has a panic attack. and. Does. You know, Claire is outside trying to get it calm together. Her down, and the girl is kind of like she's really falling apart. Um, yeah, she's a mess. It sounds like it sounds like she's. I mean, and I, it's not clear whether she's been a mess since McGinnis did this to her, or just since she, you know, stepped came, up you know, and got vocal stepped up or became in the public eye. Exactly. So I'm not really sure. Do you have a clear idea which it is? I don't. I don't know. Um, I mean, we we find out in her, you know, her her panic attack that. She is a sex addict, and she sleeps, has casual sex with a lot of people, and she's trying to figure it out. So she has a lot of issues. So some of it may stem from her assault, but some of it may have been uh, before that too. We don't; it's not clear, right? And at the end of the episode, we end up finding out that she wasn't able that she had a she didn't 
She couldn't go do it. through with it. Yeah. Uh, so interesting. I mean, what was the point of this? Do you think to see Claire face a little bit of um, a little bit of an obstacle? I think that, and I think um, to ha- have things, yeah, like have things not go go her way. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, I think maybe a little bit of it. I'd have to rewatch it again, but it could be her kind of coping with what might have been her had she treated her assault in a different way or reacted in a different way. Right. Well, maybe that makes her more sensitive too to the girl's concerns because right. she can see herself in her right. to some degree. Did you think so? After after I saw the scene, I was trying to figure out: does, is Claire sympathetic to? I think her name's Megan, uh, this girl, or is she more pissed off that, you know, this girl's not helping out her cause that she just had to take up recently? I do think that there are secondary motives to what Claire is doing here, and maybe we're not exactly sure what those are yet. Um, But I I also think that Claire is very passionate about this cause, and when that Megan girl accuses Claire of just, you know, her being a pawn, Claire seems to get legitimately pissed, because I think that this, I mean, we see, we saw in that episode where, you know, McGinnis came up and put his arms on Claire, how much that affects her and how serious that really is. And so I believe that this is something that really is, you know, whether it's for specifically for revenge on McGinnis or whether it's, you know, for the overall oversight, you know, change of infrastructure and how the military military oversight, uh, I think she really is passionate about this cause. And so, and like, and really does care about the girl. So she's pissed when the girl makes the insinuation that Claire is, you know, being all politics about this. Because maybe, you know, it seems like Claire is that way about most things, but maybe not about this in particular this time. Right. So on Frank's side, we have him meeting with the uh, a Native American chief who um, could somehow contest Lanigan's um, casino in Missouri. It's another Missouri Native American who tr- like tribe who wants to own a casino, one. unrecognized tribe because they were like shunned by Lanigan's tribe, basically. Um, so Frank wants to reinstate their tribe, you know, their tribal status, so that way they can open the casino and kind of use it as a threat for, against Lanigan. Yeah. Um, and of course he also during throughout this episode wants the president to approve the bridge. So he's kind of, he's working on like multiple potential solutions at the same time. Um, he, so a couple things that happen in this episode that are interesting. Frank approaches Garrett about the bridge. He initially doesn't think it's the right time. And it's because Linda's basically told, you know, Linda has his other ear and says, and, I mean, earnestly, that she really doesn't think it's the right time. Right. Um, another kind of open, brash moment from Frank that I'm not sure if this was calculated that he said this or if it was just, you know, a reaction. But I think I wrote down that he said he calls Linda a backstabbing, vomit-inducing bitch. Did you notice that? I do because she told – she doesn't she rat him out to the president? Yeah, yeah. And so – but it was like that was kind of – That was cruel. It was cruel, but it was also like, you know, Frank is normally more savvy than that to like yeah. let his real feelings he must show. Be pissed. Right. Um but Frank is is able to end up manipulating uh Garrett, you know, he tells him about the Chinese and the bridge will directly affect donations for midterms all this stuff. Um so, you know, he tells Garrett there's something, you know, I can't tell you the reasoning, but this bridge has to pass. I want to protect you. So Garrett you, yeah. and he's like, so Garrett, "No." He's like, no, at first, but he ends up but like... But then he says, all right. He ends up trusting Frank enough because Frank has set up that trust, you know. Um, 
for that one yep. night they hung out. And all, well, and it also doesn't help that Claire's making him lose control of his wife. So maybe this is all part of like Garrett like losing more control and letting Frank take the reins more because he has to rein in his wife too. So you know, Frank has stepped in as a friend. He's taken the friend role from Tusk instead of the vice president role, which he normally had. So now he is the vice president on one and side, friend. the friend on the other side. He has all his bases covered. Right. Um. Meanwhile, we have Stamper meeting with the Native American Affairs, and he learns that, you know, Lanigan disenrolled the tribe for government benefits. Um, Frank is trying to get it back, and Lanigan learns about this. He's pissed. He wants to meet Frank face-to-face. Frank goes to Kansas City. His front is that he's speaking at a benefit for the majority leader in the House, Terry Womack, um, who we met last season. And we see... Frank go to meet with Tusk and Lanigan. And I think personally, I really enjoyed this scene because it was the first scene where I felt like Frank was like cornered at a loss. He was like, there was so many awesome, you know, Frank is like, well, I'm going to re-enroll them. And, you know, Lanigan says to Frank, well, the tribe really just wants re-enrollment in my tribe is what they, they call me immediately after talking to you and like use that as leverage to get re-enrolled. So I just re-enrolled them. So your plan is essentially good. Right. And they would have had to wait like two years or something like that to get there, to get listed as a, a, an authentic tribe again. Right. And so, so, you know, Frank loses, Frank loses. And, Holy cow. He loses. And Tusk is like, you know, I just want you to re-repair my relationship with Garrett and we'll get the money flowing we'll back good. in the right direction. Yeah, and then they they bring out the meat once again the mat, yep, uh, meat motif, the meat. and we I want to bring it back to that conversation that I think Freddie had in the first or second episode where he's talking about slow slaughter of hogs, and it's like who is who is being slow slaughtered here? And in this particular moment, it is Frank, and we can see him squirming and squealing as you know he gets super pissed and tells him that he's going to have you know the bureau of something investigate them. And he takes the the stake and throws it in the pool, so that way the dog. Goes and then the in. dog runs over and tra- jumps in the pool. That was funny. I thought that was an awesome scene. Awesome he, scene. I, I mean, he it. knew he was pissed, or he knew he was cornered too, because when he says he wants the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs to, um, uh, you know, investigate, he's implied as a as a co-conspirator in the in the whole situation. He would go down too, so he knows he's stuck. Exactly, and so it, it, and it like it is absolutely it's a, it's a unique moment that I really enjoyed seeing Frank cornered, like you said. I mean, he even Lanigan makes the point that like you're not on government land, so you're not my vice president. I don't yeah. need to call you vice president. And we like Frank is, asks Meacham to like make sure he gets rib that he can have ribs on the plane home too. Like he needs to eat his own. Yeah, ho- he needs meat. to he, he needs to be the one that eats the hog instead of being the hog that's slaughtered. Basically, he right. that, like puts him in the position of power again, rip the meat from the bone himself. Good way to so, put it. I I definitely enjoyed that scene. Now the other major thing that happens in this episode is the Linda and Frank fallout. Linda cancels Frank's meeting with the president. They have a huge argument, and Frank absolutely annihilates her. Like he just like demeans her, like basically crushes her significance, and like how little she really means to the office and how important he is versus she is. Um, and then the president shuts her down too immediately afterward, after Frank like walks in. So I, I even wrote there like poor Linda. I feel kind of bad for her. I do too. She's just trying to do her job and everyone keeps going behind her back and double crossing people and lying. And she's this, she seems more of a straightforward, you know, politician. She is. She seems like someone who's legitimately trying to do the right thing. Right. Um, she's not going to play. Uh, she's not going to, 
build a house of cards. You know, she's going to be face value kind of person. And ultimately it's not the right place for her. So she turns in her resignation. Um, and, and Frank talks, basically talks Walker into accepting the resignation. Um, so Linda comes to meet with Frank and she gives Frank a medal of honor from the civil war. Um, it was the first medal of honor given to a Hispanic American or something like that. Why she does this. I have no idea. And then Frank has the soliloquy where he said, I've never thought higher of her than I do at this moment. She lost, but I, you know, she lost, but you know, I play to win. Um, right. so he, I mean, it makes him respect her again, how honorable she was about it. Right. But she's like, honorable I, and graceful uh, in her. Excuse ex- me. I was going to ask you the same thing and I want you to, I mean, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler, but like, do we see Linda again? Because this otherwise I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's happening here. Do you want to know if we see Linda again? Uh, maybe not. Okay, maybe it's more of a maybe. Maybe she does come back in some form. I, I was thinking like we're it, maybe it was symbolic that we're like getting rid of the last noble person um, in the administration here. Um, but I mean, maybe maybe we come back to her and there is more to it. What did you? So you don't understand what the? I mean, you don't have any interpretation. I don't understand of the why Medal she's giving him a gift. Right? Is there some significance to the Medal of Honor? I mean, he's been very Civil War obsessed. This he this has been, season. which which is true. Um, who knows how much of it's really about him trying to, you know, secretly meet with Fang or whatnot. And it's also, a, it's a, it was the first Hispanic American. Is that what it was? I think it was like the first Hispanic American medal or medal of honor that was awarded right. to an American. Why, yeah. why, why is, why are you going to give it to that white guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Linda, you keep that. And why, yeah, why is she like. It's not like he did something to make it up to her. Or something, no, you know, I mean was... he kind of got her the office. He always, he told us in the beginning of the whole show, but he, ever since then he's been kind of a dick <laughs> to her. Ex- right, exactly. So she doesn't know him. She doesn't, not at all. Um. Anyway, so that, I'm curious to see where that ends up going. A couple last notes, you know, I want to end this episode discussion with. Of course, Stamper is back on the Rachel trail. Uh, you know, he's sitting out in his car watching. You know, we, we see at the beginning of the episode, of course, uh, Rachel's friend Lisa coming to stay. And she has a, like a violent, she had like a violent roommate. Um, immediately when she said roommate, because I think I had predicted this before, that Rachel is going to get into a relationship with another woman. Uh, uh, I felt like this was being implied from the beginning. Um, and especially because this girl was so nice and so like understanding and seemed like a, you know someone who is a warm comforting person versus kind of the damaging people she's been with the past right so you know she and her it, it gets into like a relationship with this girl or at least get, has some relationship they have with this sex girl. they have sex um stamper meanwhile watches. stamper watches it from the car he's not actually peeking I thought in the he window, was, but I thought he was he outside would. the window like he was peeking in the window like really lurpy and creeper he might have been. I wouldn't put it past him because let's. Rem- I mean, he once they leave, he goes in and sniffs the sheets. Yeah. So he is being serious. crazy creepy. <laughs> oh boy. And once again, coming apart at the seams, no doubt. Yep. yep. He's losing. So it. he is losing it. So I, I'm excited. Like I feel like he's going to crack somehow, and it's going to really like put Frank in, in a tough position. I mean, maybe it'll it'll either it'll it'll bring Rachel's location to light. Or something like that, you know? So Remy can find her. Uh, speaking of Remy, uh, he meets up with Evelyn, Claire's old second hand at the Water Project, as we remember from last season, who Claire made fire everybody else and then fired. 
Um, and then, you know, maybe Claire should have been a little bit nicer to people <laughs> and thought about this kind of as damage control uh, before because he ends up being able to extract some information from Evelyn about... Look into the artist. That's right. Uh, Claire's affair with Adam. So... That she finds his... Or he finds Adam's old assistant, right? He goes yeah, he goes to Adam's old assistant and goes to her studio trying to extract more information. Um, after, like, buying, like, all her pieces. After buying all her pieces. Also, I you know, you got to give Remy credit for, like, realizing that something's up with Seth after he finds this so quickly and Seth doesn't. Yeah. Uh, you know... Because it makes him a more worthy adversary than someone who's just strung along for a really long time, you know, telling Seth all the facts that he's learned and, like, basically Seth being able to relay it all back to Frank. So I give a little bit more respect to Remy for that. Um, But he calls Seth on working for Frank and basically severs their relationship there. Um, So Remy... In the meantime, you know, Remy and Jackie, it seems like now are going to have a legitimate relationship. Um, that's the impression I got, you know, he, Remy doesn't want to, you know, wants to really separate their relationship from work, which we talked about this a little bit last episode. Does that mean that he really wants a legitimate relationship or is he still just playing Jackie to make her think that it's not about work? I, I mean, I was skeptical, but I was leaning more toward the, uh, this is a genuine stab at a relationship. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like this this show just leads us to be so skeptical of relationships, right? Uh, you know, nothing is what you what you right. see. Basically, yeah, there is, there is not one good solid relationship in this whole show, right? So it makes me very skeptical, especially considering they're both a lobbyist and a politician. You know, um, about the authenticity of what's going on here. But if it is, I'm curious to see what yeah. where that goes I and mean, what complications could arise. Right. Remy and Jackie are both, yes, they're both kind of, they play the games and they do what they have to do, but they still seem a little more genuine and, and uh, good, like good-hearted. Uh, their soul there, even though they do the, like Remy does the footwork for Tusk and he used to do it for Frank, he does seem like he's not, uh, you know, a, a god-awful person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's, he's still not great or perfect and nice and, and altruistic, but he seems like he has a little bit of a soul. He's not fully corrupted. He, he almost like yeah. a little bit like a Robin Hood. Like he's willing to yeah. screw over people that he feels like deserve being screwed over. Right. Um. So I, I mean, and obviously the relationship will put Jackie between a rock and a hard place too, because on the one side you'll have Frank and on the other right. side you'll have her boyfriend Remy. So it's kind of like her career or her relationship. Um, which is also a little bit cliche that it has to come down to the women. You know, the woman's decision is going to have to be between her relationship between two men. and her career between yeah. two men. So I, I, I kind of hope that it's sexist. more complex than that. Yeah, I, I hope it's more complex than that <laughs> Me too. Um, in the end. But I think that that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, and of course, Remy lets Tusk know, you know, that the refinery is now dead. Frank has engineered it with Fang so that the refinery... Right, it wasn't enough to dead. stop the flow. It was he had to get the refinery uh, shut absolutely up too. shut down as a little bit of a that a little extra fuck you from Frank. Yeah, was, yep. <laughs> Which you know maybe That's that would have been the difference maker. Um, maybe that would have made Tusk withhold, but nope. They decided to go ahead with the information that Remy has collected, which is of course Claire's affair with Adam, which we see come out at the very end. You know the. 
Uh, it looks like it's on the front, you know, it's on all the news stations. It's on the front page of some tabloid. And interesting, it's the picture of Claire that, if we'll remember from last season, is the throwback. I think it's the picture that Adam took of her in bed while she's sleeping from last season. I think it was. I think you're right. Yep. So, how the hell Remy got his hands on that picture, I don't know. Um, I, maybe the assistant had it a secret copy or, or something along those lines. But right, that wasn't really made clear, but pretty crazy. Pretty crazy, and obviously, like, I don't feel like this is something that's like that huge of a deal for Frank and Claire. <laughs> um, of all the things that seem like could potentially break them, I feel like her past affair coming out in the press right. is the least of them. <laughs> but it will be interesting to see what the ripples are and how Frank handles them. I did like as... Tusk's wife, though. When, yeah. When they're like, should we do it? She's like, fuck them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, you know, that was they're, funny. they're a, a hard-ass power couple, too. So I agree. It's nice to see some boxing gloves on Tusk at this point, too. Uh, I don't know. Any final kind of comments you want to have on, on this episode? I like this episode um, maybe a, a smidge more than the previous one because it was, it was fun to see Frank lose it um Mm -hmm. and it was also interesting to see uh the the whole deception of remy uh do his work his magic because we only kind of hear about how he does stuff so it was nice to see him bounce from claire's old uh workers and follow that trail uh i thought that was pretty cool uh I, i i give this episode a four I agree with you, too. Uh, I, I think I give this episode four again. I absolutely love the interactions with Frank and Lanigan and Tusk. So cool. And I liked how the affair came out in the end and all that stuff. I like seeing Remy's you know, behind the scenes. And I also absolutely called the stuff with Rachel. Um, yeah, you did. <laughs> I just want to, again, again, hammer that home. The stuff with Linda, I still don't quite get. I'm curious right. to see where that's going. I think maybe that's what's holding me back from giving a little bit of a higher score because I don't understand Linda's frame of mind here. And maybe it's because she is such a, you know, she is a noble person. She's not one of these two-faced people that, you know, is, is kind of dominating the White House right now. So I don't understand what's why she gave him the medal or anything like that. So that's a little bit kind of why I'm hesitant to give it a higher score. But I, I did like seeing their fight. Um, and I'm sad to see Linda go, so we'll see if she comes back, and it sounds like she might. Um, curious to see how exactly she's going to manifest. I mean, she obviously knows stuff about Frank, too, that could be damaging. So, I, I could see a bunch of people who know information on Frank coming together and making this huge unified front, because he's made enough enemies that, like, someone could band together, and it could be, like, you know, the last episode of, episode of Seinfeld, where you have, like, a whole, like, hours and hours of testimony from everybody he's ever screwed. Yep. So curious to see how that ends but anyway a good couple episodes and i'm excited to hit up the next two and see where we're going yeah all right uh without further ado where can people find uh more of a what you're saying these days chris twitter and instagram at chris Husted, chris with a k what about you tyler you can find me on both as well at tj moss 11 um once again, everybody, check us out on Facebook, this American or this House of Cards podcast, <laughs> and on iTunes, this House of Cards. Uh, thanks again, and we'll be checking back in very soon. Mm-hmm.